Well, I tell you what, one of the, I think one of the biggest challenges that we face is being comfortable in our own skin. I was asked a question one time on a panel and, and they were asking me about, you know, do I feel uncomfortable? Like, do I feel like people are uh, discriminating against me? Like when I'm in the room with mostly men, like, do I feel that way? And as I reflect back on my journey, when I initially started as my first year as an athletic director, I don't know if it necessarily was what was happening outside of me, but what was happening on the inside. It was more about me being uncomfortable versus them making me uncomfortable. And that's one of the things, I don't know if we really talk about what our own, what we believe in our head and how that plays out and how we show up. So I'll tell you the first, let me think, the first two years, three years of my career, I wore black suits, white shirt, hair in a bun. Now, people who know me now know I'm fashionable and I got fly and I got style, but I felt like, I don't, I don't know if that's, that's appropriate. I, I can't do that. I, I, you know, if I'm, if I'm stylish, what is that going to say about me in the room? But here's the problem with that. The problem is if I don't authentically show up as myself, then how do those people in the room get comfortable with authentic black people? <laughs> if I'm always showing up as the representative with the mask, you know, always trying to be like and whatever, whatever it is I think they want me to be like, that's what I'm going to do so I can feel accepted or, or they will accept me. What does that do for those that are coming behind me? I want to create something that I wish my younger self could have had when I first entered the profession which is a platform to serve and impact the next generation of coaches. Young coaches, young professionals, young leaders, they need to see black faces and they need to um, know their story. Personal lives are generally publicized within our profession. So our platform will be very unique because our guests will all share their powerful stories to help our listeners unlock their potential greatness. Guys, this episode right here will absolutely blow you away. Um, we got the chance, the opportunity, the pleasure to interview Dr. Kiki Baker-Barnes. She is the athletic director at Dillard University and so much more. Um, we all know how 2020 has been going, um, but Black women have been showing out, though. Um, and when you guys hear this episode, you will hear, um, you know, what it really takes and how to, what it really takes to navigate yourself as a black woman, also being yourself in leadership. Um, I had the pleasure to hear Dr. Kiki Baker-Barnes on, you know, many different panels before I invited her to be on our podcast. And no matter what room she was in, she always had the answers that all the leaders on the panel, men, um, white men, black men, didn't matter. They all looked at her when when the when they had a tough question. So she's somebody that I really admire. Um, the way she shows up herself, the way she practices leadership, and and definitely uses that as a guy. And you know, feel as though it's her responsibility to guide others. She's just using that in the college athletic arena. 
Yeah, it's just crazy. I thought she, uh, you know, she hopped on, man, and she, again, it was it was such a fun uh, interview because her energy it was just so contagious. You can you can tell, you know, she was exuding confidence. You know what I mean, and belief in herself. You know, and she, the biggest thing that I loved about her, and we talked about it over and over again, but she really made an example through it is. She said, I can't be a false representative. Mm-hmm. I got too many people, especially young women, looking up to me and trying to see what it looks like to do what I'm doing and, and to have success where I'm at. But I don't want them to feel like they have to to be somebody that they're not. Um, and even as a and even as a black male, you know, it makes you look at yourself and ask yourself that same question is, you know, how am I being a representative to those that are looking up looking up to me or following in my path um am I, am I showing them that I can genuinely be myself can I genuinely be a black man and still have success in this world and you know that's the thing that I truly admired about her um as she continued to share that with us and and hopefully it's going to be the same for our listeners when they tune in mm-hmm. one thing that she said um piggybacking off what you said about you know showing up herself is like you know she said if, if I don't if I'm not myself, then how can I make the people around me comfortable with um, me being myself? You know what I'm saying? If we have a mask on and we're trying to hide who we are. Right. We're, we're never going to be accepted for who we are. So um, just like you said, having that confidence, um, you know, having taken on that responsibility and, and just, you know, being confident in who you are and your skills and abilities. So um, I really, really enjoyed this. Um, I know that our audience will as well. Um, you know, like I always say, get your pen, get your notebook out, um, get ready to laugh and all that good stuff because uh, you're in for a treat with this interview here. Welcome back to the show. We are here with Dr. Kiki Baker Barnes, Athletic Director at Dillard University. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here today. This is the Black Excellence in Sports podcast, where we highlight those we believe demonstrate Black excellence. We want to highlight their story, their voice, and their testimony to inspire others to unlock their greatness. Dr. Kiki Baker, what do you what do you think about when you hear black excellence? How do you define that? When when I think about um, when I think about black excellence, I think about what I would call it's it's one of my favorite I don't know kind of my own quotes that I've created and that I use when I talk to people, and I see it as overcoming obstacles with optimism. That's what I think about when I see black excellence. And I mean, I could go on and on about uh, the numerous obstacles that, you know, men and black men, black women have faced in, in trying to achieve success. And it doesn't matter what obstacle comes our way. We seem to always come on the other side of it and then end it with a smile. So when I think about black excellence, I think about overcoming obstacles with optimism. Dr. Barnes, can you talk about um, people that have been a part of your life that has demonstrated black excellence? Man, man, I got a tribe of people in my life. (laughs) I have a tribe of people in my life. Um, I think 
I'll have to take it back to the beginning first before I get to the current tribe. Uh, I have to go all the way back home to Minden, Louisiana. I was from a small town. Uh, I make jokes, you know, we talk about area codes. So in New Orleans, it's the 504 and everybody know about the 504, but I'm really from the 318. <laughs> and it's a very, very small country place um, where I was nurtured, where I had a lot of people in my community who were there for me. So when I think about um, black excellence and what was demonstrated, I just think about the people who poured into me. Um, those people exemplify excellence in education. Um, and there are more of me. So it's not just me that was produced from that area. I'm talking about, I, I've, I've got attorney friends, like people is just killing the game. And we all came from this small country town, Minna, Louisiana, with people who took education very seriously. So my first shout out in terms of black excellence is to the educators in my village from where I came from in Minda, Louisiana, St. Res Baptist Church. That's where I grew up. My counselors, those people were very influential in helping me understand um, my value system and, and who it is, who it is that I am and uh, what my responsibility my responsibilities are with the gifts that have been given to me. So that's where I start off the village, you know, then, you know, I got into a career, you know, and I had the opportunity to grow and I started meeting all these phenomenal women. So we have a, a women's leadership circle, Tamika Smith Jones, another sorority sister of mine and um, Coach Aisha's, um, uh, Christine Kelly at Dartmouth, Jennifer Williams at Alabama State, Terrellyn Oles at University of Alaska. Like I could just go on and on and on about people who are literally in my circle who are killing it. Like they are doing a fantastic job and demonstrating what I would say black excellence look like. They are overcoming obstacles with optimism. And when you see them, they don't look like it's a thing we say in the church. You don't look like what you've been through. Like they are, they are in there. They are working hard. They are fighting the good fight and they look good doing it. And that's one thing about black excellence. Like we always look so good. We make it look so easy when it's hard, but we figure out a way like people want to be like us. And it's like, well, let me, let me, let me take you back and let me talk about the real, real and what you don't see. Um, but I have a tribal woman who have my back, Monique A.J. Smith. I have to call Monique's name because Monique is the person that connected me to my tribe. She has, I think, a Facebook group of like over a thousand women, like 12,000 women in sport. And she has become a great connector through her a Chat in the Garden um, series, podcast, and just there's a lot of things Monique has going on. But she's in my sister circle. There you Cherry. Black Excellence, owner of um, apparel company in Kansas City. She was the first sponsor of my program, So You Want a Career in Athletics, um, but owns her own apparel company. She's opening up her first actual, um, her first store, like in a mall, like just mad, like just killing the game. Um, so I really, I have been very, very fortunate to have people around me that I could be inspired by. Um, as well as learn from and who can also help me to be better at who I am. Dr. Barnes, before we start diving into your excellence, 
I love that you said how we don't talk about the real. Um, can you can you explain to our listeners the obstacles that you may have had to overcome or the obstacles that you've seen other black men and women overcome while they were on their journey to, to becoming excellent? Well, I tell you what, one of the, I think one of the biggest challenges that we face is being comfortable in our own skin. I was asked a question one time on a panel and, and they were asking me about, you know, do I feel uncomfortable? Like, do I feel like people are uh, discriminating against me? Like when I'm in the room with mostly men, like, do I feel that way? And as I reflect back on my journey, when I initially started as my first year as an athletic director, I don't know if it necessarily was what was happening outside of me, but what was happening on the inside. It was more about me being uncomfortable versus them making me uncomfortable. And that's one of the things, I don't know if we really talk about what our own, what we believe in our head and how that plays out and how we show up. So I'll tell you the first, let me think, the first two years, three years of my career, I wore black suits, white shirt, hair in a bun. Now, people who know me now know I'm fashionable and I got fly and I got style, but I felt like, I don't, I don't know if that's, that's appropriate. I, I can't do that. I, I, you know, if I'm, if I'm stylish, what is that going to say about me in the room? But here's the problem with that. The problem is if I don't authentically show up as myself, then how do those people in the room get comfortable with authentic black people. <laughs> if I'm always showing up as the representative with the mask, you know, always trying to be like and whatever, whatever it is I think they want me to be like, that's what I'm gonna do so I can feel accepted or, or they will accept me. What does that do for those that are coming behind me? Here's the deal. Diversity makes everything go. Like, we need different thoughts. I don't want people around me who agree with everything I have to say. I need to know what you bring into the table because what I'm bringing from the 318 is not necessarily what they had in the 504. But when you put the 318 in the 504, you get a Kiki Baker Barnes. You understand what I'm saying? But it's all, it's all good. So the thing that I think when we start talking about obstacles and again, there's, there's the obvious obstacles. So there is the racism and those things are very real. But I can tell you more than anything, it was me getting out of my own head, you know, and learning to be comfortable with who I was, whether or not people were comfortable or not. So, you know, Kiki is loud, you know, I like to dance, you know, you might, I mean, Every now and then I might make a lyric and then start thinking I'm a rapper, you know. <laughs> I, I was on the radio the other day and I was like, give me a call. We can talk about it all. Then I was like, oh, that's a lyric, y'all. Somebody got to sign me. Jay-Z, where you at? B, I'm ready. I mean, but this is who I am. But guess what? I am also a very good leader. 
I'm a very good leader. And so the thing that I think that is most important as we're talking about black people now stepping into our spaces, we gotta be we gotta be real and we've gotta be who we are. So they get a chance to really get to know us and not the representative that we show up with. So I'm just that 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 that's a very real real struggle. Um, so I don't know. I, again, it's a different perspective because it's not something we really talk about. Um, we we talk about assimilating a lot. We've done a lot of assimilating to look like, to talk like, you know. And again, so then you have young people who look like me looking at me like I'm not even attainable. You know, you know, I don't I don't necessarily you know wear those kinds of clothes or I don't wear my hair like that. You know, I remember one particular convention I attended where I specifically wore my my curly look. My hair's, I mean, I have naturally curly. Like, why can't we wear our hair naturally curly? Who said that? Who made that rule? Why can't we wear dress? Who made that rule? Like, this is the way we wear our hair naturally. What's wrong with that? So I remember showing up at a convention with the with the fro, and was like, I'm here. And I remember having a session with a young lady and. She said to me, she's like, I just didn't believe I could do that. But seeing you do that made me believe that it's okay for me to be me. And I think that that is where we are right now. And we have a great opportunity right now in terms of, you know, Black Lives Matter. We have a chance to finally take the mask off and we can really be who we are. And we have to do that. And people will love us for that. That's the one thing I learned that people, when I'm crazy, Kiki, and laughing and joking and all over the place, people expect that. And like, where is, where is she? We don't want the, oh, hello, my name is Dr. Barnes. Uh, uh, they, don't want, they don't want that. They want Kiki. The person that's going to make them laugh. They may be having a horrible day. But when, they, when I show up with the big smile and snacks, because I always have snacks. I don't believe in having meetings without snacks. You're not going to keep me in no, no meeting for three, four hours and I'm not going to get a chance to eat. That's that. Hey, Kiki's going to have snacks. I told the NAIA, all my friends, I said, when I become the president of the NAIA, we're going to have snacks at our convention. Now, convention got canceled, right, because of COVID. But I planned on making sure all my colleagues had snacks and they could share along with the snacks with me in the meeting. I mean, <laughs> so hey. You know, again, they learn to get to know who I am authentically and they appreciated me for being me. And so I think that is an obstacle and something that we as black people have to start working through and becoming comfortable with who we are and not being so worried about if they don't like it. Dr. Bombs, I, lo I love that you talked about being comfortable and knowing that you're a great leader. Um, because I recently saw you at, um, on, it was on a panel, um, and it was, you know, with a bunch of men, and it was about social justice and all this stuff, and all the questions you just had coming off, you had answers to all the questions, it was like, it was basically like, you know, your panel, <laughs> and the supporting staff, and I, I, I love, like, when I was looking at it, and I saw you, it, I just got so inspired, because it was like they was asking simple leadership questions about what should we do? And you just was like, you know, lead, you know, like you're supposed to lead. So my question is about your gift of leadership um, and, you know, being a great leader. 
where did that start and how did you learn to cultivate that and you know and continue your career being down a, a path of just great leadership wow boy that is a good question um golly I, I, I gotta, I've got to think about when did I know I was a leader? I really think it started in church, you know, and I, I talked to you all initially about, you know, I just mentioned about my village and just where I came from at home. My first opportunities to lead were at church. It started out with, hey, we need someone to participate on the program to read the scripture. Who will volunteer? I'm raising my hand. I'll volunteer. Um, and so it initially started as me always answering the call. Someone would need someone to do a task. And for some reason, I always had my hand in the air <laughs> saying, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. And I think that every time I raised my hand and took a step forward for those adults who were in my life, they were like, okay, there's something about her. And when that happened, I would receive instruction. So after I've done this successfully a couple of times, then they start depending on me and like, well, we know we can always depend on Kiki if we need somebody to fill in. And then I started getting assigned. I didn't volunteer, but I started being pulled into opportunities where Kiki did this. They need some help over here. Kiki, why don't you go over here? We, we want you to help with the, the little kids ministry. We want you to teach them a little Sunday school, you know, be a little vacation Bible school teacher. Okay, here is the, the, the curriculum and here's what we're doing. We want you to do it and you'll be creative. And so that those kinds of opportunities, again, when I raise my hand and, I, and I'll say it in the way that the Bible says, here I am, Lord, send me. You know, that that was what I remember when when I was in church, you know, when we were talking about, you know, whether we what we wanted to do, whether we wanted to follow the call and, you know, at what point we were going to accept um, Christ as our savior and be saved and all these kinds of things. It was always a raising of the hand and the scripture that says, here am I, Lord, send me. So there's I volunteered first, but then after I volunteered and I showed up and I listened then the people around me start saying, hmm, she listens. Let's start appointing her and assigning her other things. So I had people constantly saying, go here, do this. Go here, do this. No, don't do it like that. Do it this way. I think you'd be great here. And I just would listen. And then I do. And then I had an amazing opportunity. I'll never forget this. I got selected. I was appointed. Again, remember I told you that was the volunteer time, but then after I volunteered and said I was willing and had an open heart and mind, then people start assigning me. I got selected to be one of, I think, 10 students in my parish in Louisiana. Y'all, we have parishes. I know everybody else have counties. You know, we always got to be different, right? Well, I was one of 10 young ladies in the seventh grade who was selected to attend this state peer leadership camp. And so what they were doing was selecting who they thought were the leaders from across the entire state, bringing them to this camp for the summer. I think we were there for a week and taking you through basically a series of leadership development and, and learning how to grow. 
And I will tell you, that was a pivotal moment in my life. I was really skinny. I was goofy. Um, and you know, this person that I am, I've always been this way. Uh, always running my mouth. You know, I didn't quite fit in. Um, just, just, I was just a little odd duck, you know? And I was trying to figure out where I belonged. I made the cheerleader squad. <laughs> Can y'all believe it? I know. I was a cheerleader first. I made the basketball team but couldn't play. <laughs> if you try it out, you made the team. So it was like, I was on the team because coach was so nice that he didn't cut anybody, right? So I'm trying to find a group, right, where I fit in. So I go to this leadership camp. I'm there. And I remember this one um, counselor, she said to me, she said, your smile, she said, your smile is so beautiful. You're going to change the world with your smile. I ain't nobody said that about my smile. I never, I never had anybody say that. Uh, she was a, and she was a white lady. Again, there weren't very many, there may have been about, 10% of black people there. So I'm in a different environment with different people. I've never been affirmed like that from someone who had had such a short encounter with me. Like she only knew me for a day or two. Like, how do you know I'm going to change the world? You don't even know me. <laughs> you don't know me. But whatever it was that she saw, she fully believed in it. And she spoke it to my life that day. And from that point on, it was like, I'm a leader and my smile can change lives. And so as I started to grow and again, get assigned to more leadership, I ran for like secretary to student council that year. So I was the secretary. I was secretary. And then I think when I got to high school, like I ran for like secretary in my class. And I wound up being, I was like in everything. I was in every organization. I, I was in leadership positions, probably in everything. I eventually became a captain of my team. I was captain of track. But I realized that I had a responsibility and I had people around me who would say, God gave you that for you to make a difference. And so I knew really early that it was a gift and that I was responsible for the gift. Not, you know, it's not just for me to do what I want to do and to, to, to keep it all to myself, but I have a responsibility to God because he the one gave it to me, right? And so from that point on, I really feel like everybody that I have had the opportunity to be, um, to study under was assigned to me to help me be a better leader. Um, and so I remember the point when I went to college, I came back home when I was getting ready to trans, I was transferring from my junior college. I had spent two years at South Plains College, I was going to University of New Orleans. I had been brought back, I was at home for the summer. You know, I do what I do, I go back and what am I gonna do in the summer? I gotta teach vacation Bible school because I'm, I'm someone that they want the kids to look up to and they want me to come and give back. And I remember going to Bible school and I remember having to speak to the students. And I remember saying, there were scriptures and things people used to say to me that I didn't understand. But there was this one scripture and they said, and the scripture says this, it says, you have to work while it's day because when night comes, no man can work. There's a scripture that says that. And that was the first time that it meant something to me and I understood it. I said, that scripture means that while you're young, while you have breath in your body, while you have the activity, 
you have to do everything you can to make a difference in this world. And guess what? You can do that right now. You don't have to become 40 years old or 50 years old. And then all of a sudden you decide you're making a difference at 20. Cause that's what I was at that time. I realized I can make a difference right now. And I didn't have to wait. And from that point on, I decided that I was going to lead on purpose. Like if my smile is going to make people better, I'm going to show up. Every time I show up, I'm going to show up with a smile. And anytime I see people and give them that smile, they give me the smile back. You can't, you can't, I can't give it without you giving it back to me. I have to do it. And so I was like, okay, the power of the smile, right? If I just smile, now at the point that I smile, I just disarmed you. So now we got to have a conversation. And that's where having relationships, that's why I, that's where I learned how to start developing relationships because relationships are very critical to leadership. You don't have good relationships. You can't lead people. So show up with the smile and strike that conversation. And from that point on, it's all done. I ain't met a stranger y'all. I ain't met a stranger. Okay. I'm using my, okay. I'm not using my good English, but Hey, I ain't met a stranger. <laughs> Dr. Barnes. Two qualities that I take from, from you is you're very intentional and you have a servant heart. But one thing that I've, I've realized, and, and this is reading your bio and doing research on you and then obviously hearing all the jobs and the things you, you do <laughs> or have done, you know, growing up. Um, this is something that, that I would love to hear from you. Uh, a wise person always has told me this and actually I'm gonna get a shout out to my mother because she's the wise woman that has said it but she always say you know your job is what you pay for but your calling is what you're made for and I feel like with your passion and how you're talking about the things that you're doing um it seems like you're you're walking in your calling would you agree with that oh absolutely um and, and here's the thing I, I like the way you put that see your calling it's the thing that you do and it's not connected to a career because what I do, it doesn't matter in what space I make jokes about this all time, all the time. Like I literally am not trying to tell people and lead people all the time. Like I can go in as the teammate and at some point people going to start looking around and all of a sudden, well, Kiki, what you think? And the minute I open my, my mouth to say what I think, all of a sudden everybody want to hear what I got to say. And everybody's like, okay, we're going with her. But what does that mean in church, whether I'm out on the street, it doesn't matter where I am. I am going to help people be better. And I can do that in all kinds of ways. So you don't get caught up in all of the superficial things. I don't get caught up in money, what school I'm at. You know, all those things are superficial. Those are very superficial. And if I'm so connected to that, maybe I'm not doing what God, need me, God needs me to do. If my calling is the lead and to encourage and to empower, I can do that in everything that I do. How I handle myself and conduct myself in social media. You know, how I handle and conduct myself as athletic director and working with young people that I'm leading how I operate when I'm at church, you know, serving, you know, singing the choir, you know, there's just so many ways I can empower and inspire. It's not just relegated to like the position that I hold. Now, 
sometimes God gives you these wonderful callings and they do put you in a position such as what I have. But I'm only here because God put me here. So I have a responsibility to give it all I got. At the end of the day, everything he gave me is supposed to be given away. I tell people all the time, God gives you a cup, right? We all have a cup, right? That cup can only hold so much liquid. Anything outside of that don't belong to you. After it's all running over, it's supposed to go to other people. So, you know, I, I now have this opportunity. I'm doing some radio. I have a larger platform. That ain't for me to be talking about Kiki. That is to help amplify other voices and to share knowledge that can be helpful. Now, if good things happen for me, those are the blessings that come with doing and being obedient to your call, but it's not the purpose for the call. And those are the things in leadership, you know, we've got to get back to it being about people and not about us and what we want. It has to be about giving what you have because that's why it was given to you. It was given to you to give to other people, to share. And we have to get back to that. I'll tell you, even in coaching, like the thing I love most is I get to coach coaches and I know how I was coached. It was very dictatorial and, you know, it was do as I say. I never thought we had anything to say as a player. Like we don't know anything like we not playing the game. I'm the one out there on the court coach. You ain't played in like 10 years, but you don't want to hear nothing I got to say. Come on, man. Like, come on. Like, what kind of world is that we live in where we can't listen to young people? Like, you know, John Lewis passed away, right? John Lewis was our age when he made his declaration of leadership and changed the world. Martin Luther King changed the world. They weren't 50 years old. They were 20-something-year-old who had a calling on their life, who believed in that calling, and they believed in it so much that they were willing to die for it. So you mean to tell me we are here and put in a position to lead young people, but they don't have a voice that we can't listen? Oh, no. So I have the opportunity to talk about coaches. So how are you going to coach? What space have you created for your, coach, for your players to come and challenge you? It's going to help you be better. Maybe you can find a better way to do what you're doing. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that maybe we can be more efficient. You know the reason I'm good on social media? Because I keep young people around me. I know what's going on. They teach me. So they teach me how to stay here. I teach them wisdom. I give them thoughts. I help them strategize and think about when they want to go off and they haven't emotionally matured all the way yet to handle somebody coming at them crazy, then they have me to come and say, man, that was crazy, man, doggone, you know, they can talk about that with me. And then I can help educate them. I can give them wisdom so that they can stay in the game. Like we can't do that if we decide we know everything, even though we stop learning and we're not continuing to evolve. And they don't know nothing because they don't have the same age as I have and they don't have the PhD that I have. Everybody has value. You have to believe that. And if you believe that, you will get the best out of people. And you can sometimes achieve things that people would have never imagined were possible. Amen. Swear, <laughs> you, you men like 20 years. I, <laughs> you, you as me. <laughs> um, yes. 
you, you talked about earlier um, developing your values and your gift and your purpose. And all of that is obvious. It's obvious in who you are. It's obvious. And, you know, when you found out about yourself as a leader, can you talk to us about how that translated to your professional career um, in college athletics? You could be you could be leading in any area. Why college athletics and how important do you think um, it is to see um, black women in, in positions of power and athletic directors and any leadership position? Yeah, um, athletics was an accident for me. So as I always tell people, I thought I was going to have a career in media, but hey, that's about to happen. You see, like I'm on the radio now. Y'all better watch out. I'm going to have a show soon on TV coming near you. Watch out. Uh, but anyway, that's the ego talking. But um, I wanted to do TV when I came out of college. And what happened was my coach called me and gave me an opportunity to be a graduate assistant. So now understand she was able to get me to commit to that graduate assistantship because they had a master's degree in communication. So when I took the opportunity, I thought that I would have the opportunity now to really focus in on this communication side that I didn't have as a student athlete. Because coach, as you know, you don't have no time to practice. I mean, to do anything outside of practice. You, you go into practice, you're traveling for road games, you know, in off season, you're working on your game. So my, my, my access to internships, I just didn't have the time. So I'm thinking, oh, because again, I don't know anything about coaching. I'm thinking, oh, now that I'm a coach, I ain't go, I'm going to have plenty of time. I will have plenty of time to work on this communication thing and I can figure it out. So, of course, I go. I enroll at the University of Louisiana at Lafayette. And we begin and I get a list of things. I get my job description <laughs> from coach. And I realize, oh, I'm not going to have a life. <laughs> All I have is workouts in the morning, recruiting on the weekends. I got home visits I'm setting up. I'm calling players and parents all week, talking to coaches about coming to campus, setting up the uh, summer camp, doing the ball girl club during the year. I mean, the list went on and on and on and on. And here's the crazy thing. I fell in love. Like, literally, I was like, this is what God made me to do. Those young ladies, in which I still have relationships with to this day, those young ladies, when they first met me, were like, Coach Kiki. <laughs> and when they called me Coach Kiki, I was done. I was like, man, I'm Coach Kiki. Oh, man. Those young ladies listened to me. It, 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 and I was, I was so shocked. And I shouldn't have been shocked because people always been listening to me. My teammates listened to me. I was always telling people what to do. But to have them to respect me, as their coach, I hadn't been called coach before. You know, being peer-to-peer -peer is different. Like, Kiki, that's my girl. That's my teammate. But for them to call me and to see me as an authority figure, as someone that they wanted to listen to and to call me coach, I was done. So then I felt like, oh, I got to do really well now because I got these young girls and they looking up to me. So I have a responsibility. Again, I've always had this responsibility to do the right thing, to lead in the right way. And as I talked about a little bit earlier, 
how inauthentic I was when I wasn't able to really be me, I think about, man, I wish I would have been a little bit, I wish I would have been there at that time. I wish I would have been more confident in who I was at that time. Because again, if they think that I'm the standard, then well, I got to do it like Coach Kiki does it in order to have a shot. And that is the thing that I think about. And I'm like, man, I wish I wish I had known better. But again, I didn't have a black. I had one black coach, female, um, but she was the assistant coach in high school. All my other coaches were white men. Every last one of them. So, you know, there was there wasn't this affirming you know, of who I was. I didn't see black women in administration. Like we were, we, they, we were nowhere to be found. Um, so when you ask me the question coach about why is it important that we have black women in these positions? Because guess what? There's some kikis out there. Like they are talented. They are smart. And all they need is a shot. And they need to see that who they are is good enough. Who they are, not, not, who, not who they show up to be, not the representative. And I have to keep going back to this, not the representative, but who you are at your core is enough. And that's why we have to be in this spaces. You need black women, you need black men in these spaces, and we need to be authentically and unapologetically black. We need to wear our braids, you know, and then show up the next day with a whole wig on, like head out to the, like, what? I mean, hey, like, this is the life we live. You know, I may have long nails and then they short. You know, I can show up in Jordans, you know, ready to ball. Well, y'all might like I know, the Kobe's. I know, you know, Kobe's is the generation. Jordan was my generation. So, hey, but even though everybody wears Jordans now, but hey, but my point is we have to show up authentically so that that young lady or that young man who is us when we were 20 years ago can actually get a visual picture of what that looks like they need to see different leaders have success so i always here's here's one thing i'll tell people when i talk about diversity and i talk about why it's important so we have a goal right we want to when you're doing addition and subtraction right so we want to get the number nine, right? And I use number nine because my birthday is April the 9th. Yes. So if I want to get the number nine, you know how many combinations I can do to get nine? Eight plus one, five plus four, six plus three, two plus seven, nine plus zero. Guess what? None of them are wrong, but they all different. And they all got you the same, the same answer. So just like I can be all over the place and kind of uh, some, sometimes seen as ditzy, depending on who it is, like, man, that lady be all over the place. She laughing, she rapping one day, playing the bass guitar the next day. You know, you don't know what you're going to get from me. But she is a leader and she's doing it well. There are some other people that's just like me around here in the country, just all over the place. But if they've never seen a person like me lead successfully, then people are saying, oh, that personality, no, you can't lead because you don't, you don't do it like the person that does six plus three. Well, I'm, I'm four plus five. That's who I am. I'm four plus five. And four plus five equals nine and you can lead. 
just like the one plus eights that you've seen and the two plus sevens that you've seen and the six plus threes. And that's why diversity in leadership matters. It matters. And we need to see it. Dr. Barnes, I know you've actually started, um, you started a platform to help young women. So for someone that, that got in the profession, didn't really want to be in the profession, talk about how you're helping those young ladies kind of have the same mindset that you have now, but obviously at a younger age, so they can ultimately be in the same position um, one day. So as we have discussed, you know, representation matters. Um, and I make jokes all the time about the fact that I kind of like fell into this thing. Um, and, and I don't want to say that. I want to say I was called to this work. God was guiding me the whole way. You know, he was, he was taking me step by step. So God was my mentor. Okay. You know, I had my mother, um, my father who would speak life into me. And so through their words that helped me to walk the walk that I walk. And I believe that I had to walk the walk that I have taken because my job now is to make that walk easier for young people. So I didn't see a black administrator female until I graduated from college. That was the first time I saw a woman that was actually working in athletics that was black. I went through my entire high school career and college career without seeing one black woman administrator. That's crazy. I was like, wow. So automatically in my mind, I wasn't thinking about a career in athletics because I didn't see people that look like me that were in athletics. So in my brain, it was like, well, they don't exist. And maybe that's not something we do. We do other things. You know, we play the game maybe. Um, but I go teach. You know, we see a lot of black women teaching, you know, but you don't see us at the top. So it's not something I aspire to because I didn't see it. Now, fortunately, I eventually got in and an opportunity presented itself when I became head coach at 25 years old at Southern University of Shreveport. My current men's basketball coach, Mike Newell, was the AD. Coach left and took another job. And I'm sitting up here thinking like, well, well, since he gone, well, maybe I, maybe I should be the athletic director. That was the first time that I actually thought that, well, I'm the only person left. I'm over three out of the four sports. Seemed like to me, it would make sense that I was named athletic director. Now that didn't happen because they thought I was too young. I was 25 and I didn't have enough experience. But my thing was, I'm smart. Y'all hired me to be the head coach out of three out of four programs. What do you mean? <laughs> but at that time, they weren't ready to make that kind of move, especially with a young female. That's fine. Okay. But, you know, that's where I got that bug like, hey, next time this happens, I'm going to be an athletic director. So, you know what? I need to start doing some research. So then I start realizing, oh, it's not women that we don't, that's not what women do because of course I don't see them, but the few that were in it, like, man, I, could, I couldn't even get connected with them. I didn't know how to get connected with them. So I decided I'm gonna get my PhD because I was like, just in case this opportunity comes again, I know I'm gonna have to have all my ducks in a row, right? 
So with So You Want a Career in Athletics, I said, we have got to make the connection. Now that the tribe exists and we know who we are, so we're connected. My job in terms of the call that's been put on my life is now to connect these young girls who are now 13 and 18 year olds, we need to connect them with us now. They need to see us now so they can say, oh, I want to be an athletic director. How do I do that? And then we have to be there to give them the mentorship, the support, and the things that they need to help them be successful. And that is what I am trying to do and I am thrilled about. I've kind of already started talking to my groups and I've told them, listen, y'all are going to, I'm building the bridge. So when the kids come through my program, when they graduate, I'm sending them to a school where there's a female administrator who is going to mentor them from the beginning of their career. How powerful is it to have someone at the beginning of your career that you can ask questions about that can also help you develop your own personal network? It, the inter, here are some interesting things that would happen in my women's group. So we're, we're discovering each other again already. We're already in the industry, right? We've been killing the game probably for 10 or 15 years, but we'll sit in a room and I don't know if I'm good enough. You know, I'm not sure if I'm good enough. We're grown women who have been successful sitting in a room talking about we don't know if we're good enough to take the next step or to apply for that bigger job. So if, imagine if you have women who are actually successful on paper. You can look at it and you can see what they've done and they're doubting themselves. What do you think that looks like for a 13, 14, 15 year old? If we're doubting ourselves and we in the chair, we in the seat, what does that mean for those young ladies? So we owe it to them. We owe it to them now to connect with them a lot earlier so that they can be affirmed, so that they can know that who they are is good enough. They need to know that at 13, 14, 15, not get into a career and succeed and accept less because you don't believe, oh, I don't know if I'm good enough because you haven't had the support. And that is what I, you know, I, that, that's, in my personal opinion, that's the legacy I want to leave. If I haven't done anything else in my life that was good enough, I want God to be pleased with this effort that he has called me to do. And I'm going to finish it all the way to completion. And it's going to live after I die. That's where I am. Dr. Barnes, um, you are a woman of many accomplishments and you wear a lot of hats. Um, can you talk about your ability to manage time, manage your energy, manage your focus? Can you kind of talk about how you go about planning, um, strategizing, how you go about, you know, getting things done? Oh boy. So I have, I, I remember doing a, a presentation one time and I, I have like three, three keywords. You have to prioritize, then strategize, then organize. So I do juggle a lot, right? So I have to always prioritize what's most important. So figure out what I have to get done this next week. Then by the end of the month, and then by the end of the year. So I look at what's happening in all the different areas of my life. Uh, I prioritize what needs to happen right now. 
and then I strategize. I create a strategy for how I'm going to do that. So I need to, I have a list of things that I'll write down. These things have to be done by the end of the week. Um, and then again, organizing those particular tasks out. That's kind of my little process. And so I spend a lot of time, I am very tech savvy. So I have an iPad mini that is turned into a notebook. I have this wonderful, 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 wonderful app called GoodNote. And I take, I have like about 20 tablets <laughs> in GoodNote. I take all of my notes there and I keep myself organized. I use um, an online platform called Asana. It's a, it's a way that I can organize my different, um, another way that I organize everything that's going on. So I have Gulf Coast Athletic Conference because I am the interim commissioner still. And I'll put all the things that are, are, are due in terms of what's happening on the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference. I have Dillon University as one all the expectations that I have for Dillon University. I have a, a So You Want a Career in Athletics um, project set up, all of my tasks that go there. And then, you know, with people that are in my life, so, you know, staff members and things, there are some things that I can assign to people. So in that particular platform, I can assign work to other people. So I know even if I'm not thinking about it, somebody else has it and it's going to get done. I'll, it allows me to put uh, due dates on it. So if I need something to be done by a certain time, I can communicate that to whoever's working with me. So it's a monumental moment, a monumental uh, task. You have to have good people around you. So I have a great team of people. I don't have a big team, uh, but I have really good people who work with me and for me in those areas. Um, and they come through. So I'm really, 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 really grateful to be surrounded by good people who let me be. Um, I have a great husband. Um, my husband, poor baby. I feel so sorry for my hubby sometimes. <laughs> I feel so sorry for him sometimes, y'all. Oh, my God. Because I'm always thinking. Um, I'm wired that way. So it's, it's who I am, and I've learned to just be okay with that. I know that there's nobody else that would accept me for me. And I'm very grateful that I have the husband that I have because I have a scatterbrain. I wake up in the middle of the night with an idea and sometimes be like, hey, can we talk about this? And he's like, it's the middle of the night. Are you kidding me? Um, but yeah, I've, I've had a lot of good people around me that helped me to juggle the many tasks and projects that I get myself involved in. Dr. Barnes, to piggyback a little bit off um, Ish, I, I want to know how do you stay focused as you continue to try to maximize your strengths in all these different areas? Because I, I think it's very unique with, I mean, I think you just have a unique quality of the things that you do. I just think it's wonderful. But I, I want to know how you kind of stay focused in those areas to really kind of be, be great. Um. So, you know, I, I haven't quite figured that out, <laughs> Nick. Let me be honest. Um, but here, here's what I'll say. One of the things that, and this is kind of like a personal philosophy I have of development with people. I've always shared with friends, my husband, and people that I have conversation with about whether we're born with certain gifts and whether we can learn. I feel like there are things that you're born with and that, that I, it's not that you can't learn. I, I think you can still learn anything, but 
there are things that I have intuitively been doing all my life. One of those things is everything. Okay, so that sounds weird. So what do I mean by that? I was a cheerleader. I played basketball. I ran cross country. I ran track. I was FBLA. That was Future Business Leaders of America. Future Teachers of America. I sang in the choir. I was learning how to play the piano. I've been doing what I'm doing now all my life. So I am accustomed to doing multiple things and being able to fully focus when I need to and being able to manage multiple things for a very, very, very long time. So the life that I live is very normal to me, to people outside of me. They like that girl is crazy. I'm always doing something. So I told you, like, I've, I've been learning how to play the bass because I love music. You know, I, my mother was a musician. I sang. Um, I did the flute. Oh, I was in the band. I forgot to tell you, right? So <laughs> I played the flute in the band until I realized when I got to high school that I wasn't going to be able to cheer at the football games and do the band. So I was like, nope, I'm going to be the cheerleader. So I let the flute go. That was after the violin and the piano. Like, I've been doing this. This is who I am. Um, and so I just think that I think that the way that I am is was is is the reason for the path that I'm on. So, you know, I've had people say things like, when you gonna go to a big time school? You know, when you when you know, we you you this, you this, you you should be here. But here's the thing about that. If I was at a big time school, I could only do one thing. Because at big time schools, people do one job. But Kiki has a lot of talents. And Kiki likes to use her talents. So I feel like I need, I, need, I need creative freedom. I need freedom from authority. I am, a, I, I, it, this is so funny. To be a person that's in charge, I hate authority. <laughs> like, don't tell me what to do. I don't need nobody telling me what to do. I, I, I know what I need to do. Me and God talked about it. So I have to be, in order for me to thrive, I have to be in, in environments where I'm building and where I can be creative and use whatever I have. And sometimes when you have a whole lot of money, you ain't creative because you can just go buy it. I can just go pay somebody else to do it. So I feel almost like my unique set of gifts and the way that I was built as a person in the terms of who God made me to be was just for a situation where you don't have all these things, but I can learn, you know, I love people. You know, so I've learned how to do websites. I need to start charging people for that too. Um, you know, I can build websites. Y'all, y'all reach out to me, kikimegabars.com. Go to my website. I need some new clients. I build websites. You know, I'm doing the base. I'm gonna be in a band real soon. Just watch what I tell you. You know, when we come out of COVID, y'all come back to New Orleans. Don't be surprised if you see me in, in a club playing back up with a band, you know. Um <laughs> Listen, I, there, I, there are a lot of things that I love to do, but I feel like all of those things were given to me for purpose. Like it's for me to either connect with someone for some reason, for some purpose that's way bigger than what I even understand. So the thing that I, that I, that I want people to understand about leadership and about this life that we live is it is really important 
that you understand who you are and you become comfortable with who you are and understand how who you are it, it contributes to the betterment of our world. So, you know, me wanting to have, have freedom, freedom from people telling me what to do, wanting to be as creative as I can be, wanting to use my gifts to help whoever God puts in my path, I get to do that at Dillon University. If I was at big time school, I'd be sitting around with donors all the time. Like I wouldn't have the, the personal time to connect with people in the way that God gave me the most power. So who said power is relegated to being at a big time school? Power is about connecting. Power and influence about are about you figuring out what it is that you do, being intentional, and making it happen. And I do that right here at the small 1300 uh, uh, enrollment HBCU with seven sports. I influence the nation right here, being who I am authentically. And so that's kind of my explanation around the whatever it is, all this stuff that I do. I can't help myself, y'all. <laughs> but I think God understood that. He understood how to take this weird, quirky thing about, I almost say I'm an ADHD adult probably, just can't sit still. But he figured out a way to take this thing about me and to, and to help me to be helpful to our society. And that's what this is, that's, that's what leadership is all about. You, you, don't, you, don't, you don't have to be at a certain place to lead. You don't have to be a certain age to lead. You don't even need a title to lead. I've been telling people what to do since 1975, since I came into this world. <laughs> I just needed guidance on how to be very good at it. So my word to the listeners is wherever you are, and Christine loves to say this, my soul always said, bloom where you are planted. Give it all you have. Make a difference. And here's the thing that I know, and again, this is the faith that exists in me, God will always put you where you need to be. Again, would I have this platform at a larger school? I really don't. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I wouldn't get to do it. People wouldn't know I could play the bass, bass guitar and I could beatbox. And, uh, I wouldn't get a chance to do all that there. You, know? you definitely wouldn't know how to do a website if you was at a big school. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. They got people doing that. I'm doing videos. I'm learning how to edit uh, videos in Adobe now. Y'all better watch out. I'm going to have a whole media company. They're going to be like, what? Wait, she was an online director. Well, how she started a media company? Hey, we didn't have a sports information director for the first three years I was here. I was the AD, the head women's basketball coach. And in my personal opinion, my, my kids deserve to have a website. So it was like, well, I guess I better learn how to do it because my kids are not going to not have a website. So if that means I have to learn how to do websites, and which was really simple because that was just working a content management system. I was like, then I need to make that happen. And God gave me the ability to learn. So why not? What I'm not going to do is have my students feel slighted because we say we don't have. Oh, we don't have as much money as the big school. I can tell you at Dill University, they get new shoes every year, get new warm-ups every year. Our website is second to none. We have nice social media. We all over the place. Hey, we in the game. We in the game because I just said I'm not going to be lazy or I'm not going to use what we don't have as an excuse. 
because it's the call to serve. God always give me what I need. He always gives me what I need. And so my, 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 I show my gratitude for this opportunity by giving it all I got to the people that he asked me to serve. You can't relegate that to a salary. I mean, I, I, that, that's a whole nother level. Now understand, I'm not talking about to anybody listening, like I'm not saying women don't deserve like pay equity and I'm not getting into that. I'm just saying that if God gives you a gift and I mean, if you believe in God, I mean, everybody don't believe in God and that's okay too. If you believe in a higher calling, a being, vibrating higher, whatever it is that you believe, if you really believe that, then there are principles in life that that you can't go against. There are laws. Here's one law. You reap what you sow. You don't do nothing, you don't get nothing. And I'm using my bad English. You don't do nothing, you don't get nothing. So whether I am, uh, whether whether I get my big bucks here, or later, I'm going to be rewarded. You can count on it. Because I'm planting seeds in good soil. I will reap. And I kind of feel like people, like I, what people see is me reaping. Like they don't, they don't sometimes understand like the time I put in and how hard I work, you know, the extra sacrifice, the learning, the extra skills. The, you know, you know, when, when it's like, well, we don't have SID. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, okay. What do they do? Can you, can you teach me? Is that a way we can do it? Okay. Let's learn that. And then what I would do is train students. So then I pass on skill I have to the students I have. I just empowered them just because I cared. That's what teachers used to do back in the day. That's the way they used to care. And you have to really be in it for the right reason to make that kind of impact. If you ain't in it to make sure, if you aren't in it to make sure that other people get a shot, you're in the wrong business. You're in the wrong business. This is about legacy and passing on the torch. And one of the things I learned about being a good leader, like you're always supposed to have people ready to take over. Man, I got leaders. I'm going to have people all over the world ready to take this chair. It ain't meant for me to be here long. I don't intend to be here all my life. I intend to move and I and I pray that somebody's ready that I have helped somebody be prepared to take on the next chair. Like I'm not trying to trying to die, you know. Yeah, I have my whole, you know, you know, don't nobody else get a shot. Like we supposed to do good work, lay a foundation, and then move out the way for the next generation. That's what leadership is about. That's what I'm about. Dr. Barnes, um, I've seen you talk about being a chief energy officer. Um, You know, we we know here that you you have a lot of energy. You do a lot of things. How do you stay energized? What do you do to make sure that you have what you need in the tank to, to do what you do? Well, okay. So this is an area where I need help. Let me just be honest. I love Coca-Colas and I know that's not healthy for me. Let me just be honest. Uh, but, but I love caffeine. <laughs> um, but I think that um, I'm high off of life. Like the opportunity to get up in the morning. Like literally I'm happy when I wake up in the morning and I read my scripture. Um, I think that I have practiced 
so long that this is this is this is me so i don't have to get up you know how they say don't be ready stay ready that's what jennifer always say don't be ready stay ready like i have practiced being intentional in terms of positivity so long to it's who i am this is not an act when you see me this is what you're going to get and if you don't get the happy kiki something's going on like something literally is like it's got to be life or death if you don't get this from me um but let me let me have a moment of transparency and say this one of the things that i've started to do with staff who work really close with me is i've started having conversations about when i have breakdowns because i it's such a habit for me sometimes i'm a very good pretender i can make people think i'm okay and i'm not because people expect me to show up positively so much i understand that people need that from me there are times where i do have a rough time but i won't share that with people so they think oh my gosh she never's down she's never down she never has a bad day and so one of the things that i've tried to do in terms of being authentic and really helping the people that i mentor and coach understand is that I do get down and here's what I do when I get down. I have therapists. When it gets too much for me, I go to a therapist. And what does too much for me look like? If I am visibly upset and I let you see me visibly be upset and I can't control my emotion, like I can't pretend in front of you if I'm going through and it's that bad, I gotta go see a therapist. Because normally, even if it's a tough time, I find a way to think about what does someone else need? I can always put their need in front of my need. But at the point that my need is so overwhelming that you can see that I need it, I gotta go, it's time to go talk to the therapist. Because what people need from me is they need my energy, they need the smile. That is what God gave me to give to the people. So in order to make sure that I am healthy, I have a therapist. Um, I don't always need my therapist. I only need therapists when it's overwhelming, when I can't show up, when I can't show up for my team. If I can't, I got to go to the therapist. I can't show up for my team. If I'm in one of those situations where I'm just, I'm struggling with something, I'm not happy about something, and I'm really just upset and trying to deal with it, then I have, you know, close enough people my mom is someone that i talk to about a lot of issues that i'm trying to walk through so if i'm if i have something that's on my mind and it's an issue and i'm trying to walk through i can walk through that with her i talk a lot so i talk through my problems with her i talk to my husband so those are like my confidence when i'm struggling so that those are what i would call my safeguards i have in place to keep me from hopefully faltering um when things get hard so having you know emotional support i think is really critical to you being able to be your best self and in the black community you know we don't hey we we just we think we can pray everything away and i you know and prayer is helpful scripture is helpful listening to gospel music is helpful all of those are great Sometimes it's not enough. And when it's not enough, God has helped and developed people who can help you. Go use God's resources. 
you, you, you got it in your insurance. It's a part. It's a copay. All you got to pay is probably $25, $30. Go talk to the people. You'll feel so much better. <laughs> so those are some of the, I would say those are what I would like to call like my emergency, my personal emergency protocols for being able to show up for the people that need me to show up authentically, me. Dr. Barnes, thank you so much for, for sharing that transparent story because I, I think we all know it's hard to be in that leadership role. And especially, it's, it's definitely hard to stay consistent and, and be your authentic self all the time. So uh, we definitely appreciate it because I'm sure there's some listeners out there that, that know um, they're afraid to go get help because they don't want anyone to see that, okay, I'm not myself. I'm not doing, I'm, I'm not doing, I'm not up to par today. You know, yeah. but what you always have on your mind to serve others and be the best version of yourself for others, you know, you're willing to step outside your comfort zone to do what's going to benefit you. And I think you, you know, you've shown that um, throughout this entire interview. But as we wrap up, um, obviously, this is the Black Excellence podcast, and I think you are a true epitome of, of Black excellence. Um, and, and you've talked about this actually throughout the interview, but um, we deem you as someone that's sitting up sitting on the throne right now with the crown you're you're a queen um you're a queen of black excellence and i think you know that and, and you deserve it especially but when that time come and and i know you like you said i don't supposed to be sitting in this seat um forever but when that time come and it's time for you to pass that crown to the next young lady that that wants to be you know the next dr kiki barnes which i think we already have that young lady right here in, in each foy but um when you do pass that crown on to that next young lady, what's gonna leave in it? If you get one thing, one final thing that you can say to them, what's what's something that Dr. Kiki Barnes is gonna say? Wow. Boy, y'all asking me for these profound words. <laughs> you know what I would leave with um, that next young lady? To trust yourself. Don't doubt yourself. That would be it. Sometimes, you know, that that is, that is it. Just to trust yourself. Absolutely. Well, but coach, 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 hold on before we go. Think about it. Think about that time when coach had told you to run that play, but you knew, you knew you needed to take that shot. The question is, did you trust yourself enough to take that shot? Even though they didn't want you to take that shot, and could you deliver? If you know you can deliver, it don't matter what anyone else has to say. You got to take the shot. And that's why I said trust yourself. Amen. You got to trust yourself because sometimes you have to help other people see that you got it. You got to shoot so, your shot. That's what, that's what they say now. Shoot your shot. Shoot your shot. I want to thank you so, so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast episode. Um, I want to give a huge shout out to Rising Coaches for partnering with us and giving us this platform um, to share these amazing stories real quick. Guys, if you are not a member of Rising Coaches and you are in the basketball profession, you want to coach, you're a seasoned coach, you're a beginner coach, it does not matter. I want to encourage you to check out Rising Coaches. Um, join Rising Coaches and become a member of the largest coaching tree in basketball. Over 1,300 members from all levels, high school to NBA, gain access to over 1,000 hours of coaching clinics. 
um, and build genuine relationships with other coaches. Rising Coaches provides the community and the resources that will help you have long-term success in the coaching industry. Please visit Rising Coaches to join, or if you got any questions, hit me up.